Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I am really pleased to be joined once again by another outstanding writer who also writes for the outstanding publication, The Editorial Board. And my guest today, Noah Berlatsky, has posed a really interesting solution to what I think of as a conundrum. It's something we've been talking about on this show a lot in recent weeks. As Noah puts it, more than five and a half million Americans out of work in January found jobs by November this year. In that same period, the jobless rate fell from 63 to 4.2%. That's for math heads out there, a one-third drop. That is pretty substantial. And by the way, jobless claims in November hit a 52-year low. We had not landed on the moon the last time unemployment claims were that low. GDP growth is up substantially. Year-to-year wage growth up about 5%. And let's not forget the substantial accomplishment of this administration to cut child poverty by 5 million. There are 5 million American children who are no longer in stifling poverty because of the actions of this administration. 2 million fewer kids who went hungry at the end of this year than at the beginning of this year. And yet, and yet, and yet, Joe Biden's approval rating has hit, uh, I'm not gonna say Trump territory, but it's certainly knocking on that door. It's at about 42% in the polling averages. It is not particularly strong. It's been dropping steadily. And it really does bring to mind what on earth is going on. Now, obviously people have been talking a great deal about inflation and the outsized impact that inflation has on all of our perceptions of the economy, how things are going. And my guest, Noah Berlatsky, puts forward a very slightly different twist on that, that maybe this is just the system, democracy, and and public opinion working the way it should. So Noah, welcome to Beyond Politics. Well, it's it's delightful to have you. I always have great conversations with other editorial board authors, and it's because I think you always bring insights and, and twists and ways that we're not usually thinking about the issues that are in the public space. So what kind of got you going on on this article? What what set were you kind of like me thinking about this? Hmm, something seems a little off. There's something a little divergent between where we are economically, which we think is kind of the major driver of public opinion on presidents, and where Biden's approval rating is. Yeah, I mean, it's something obviously that's being talked about and thought about. And yeah, I've been thinking for a little while that one of the big things that's happening right now, and one of the things you also think about a lot is COVID, right? I mean, COVID continues to be a problem and there are new variants and people are still, I mean, like I think many people who sort of follow the news, I look in on the statistics every so often to see what what deaths are like, what new cases are like. I mean, because you're obviously concerned about your own area and your own health. Yeah. And I think I think lots of people like you're still worried about masking, you're still you still know people who are getting sick. You still have to keep up with booster shots. I mean, like I mean it's things are better in many ways in many places, but we're still in the middle of this very frightening pandemic and I think that people think about that in one way or the other. I mean, people are either saying, geez, when are we ever going to feel 
really safe again. Sometimes people are, I mean, like a lot of people on the right, it's kind of a constant drumbeat of, oh, well, this is overhyped. We don't really need any safety precautions at all. But I mean, it's all part of the same, like in some sense, it's all part of the same thing, which is that the pandemic is not over. And I think that it's, even if the economy is kind of doing much better and people are able to get back to work and child poverty is cut, people really want the pandemic to be over. They want life to go back to something like normal. And when there's this huge national and global problem that just is not going away, I mean, people blame the person in power. I, I, I kind of think a lot about um, H&M Bartle's Democracy for Realists, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a synthesis of kind of a lot of political science thinking over the last few years. And it's basically about how people don't, the model of politics, which a lot of people who pay attention to politics think about, is that people really pay attention to messaging and people really pay it. It's this idea of this like informed voter who's really paying attention to everything that's going on in the news and is sort of like balancing evidence and like listening to multiple sources and then deciding, well, the president's doing a good job or not. But like, that's not really how anything works. Most people are not political junkies and don't pay much attention to politics. And so they don't really know the nuances of either messaging. I mean, they don't know exactly what Biden is or isn't doing. What they know in a sort of vague way is that the pandemic is still a problem. And he said the pandemic wouldn't, that he solve the pandemic. And that creates a drag on approval rating. And I think it did for Trump as well. I mean, I think because people sort of forget that in November of 2020, there was a lot of stimulus. I mean, the economy was not contracting, really. I mean, there was a lot of stimulus. I mean, we'd kind of, that had kind of gotten us away from kind of the worst of the pandemic contraction. I mean, people had gotten checks. I mean, there there was kind of good news about the economy at that point too, but Trump's approval rating sucked. And part of the reason was that there was this huge national, national pandemic that people were really concerned about and that we kind of lost for that reason. So- And yeah. actually Trump's own pollster bolsters what you're saying in his post-election memo. And of course, everyone's going to blame Storm, right? Victory uh, is a, victory has a thousand fathers, failures an orphan, blah, blah, blah. So of course, he's going to pin the blame somewhere other than, hey, maybe my candidate was awful. But he does say, and he does put some, some data behind it, that pretty much the pandemic is the turn. It is the thing that changed fundamentally voters' perceptions of Donald Trump. And lest we forget, it it was not looking like a slam dunk for Joe Biden early in 2020 before the pandemic really gained steam. There was a a palpable shift in voter perceptions of Donald Trump based on his performance in the pandemic. And indeed, Joe Biden got 52.3% of the popular vote. And if he had gotten just 0.3% lower, he would have lost. Despite all of that, Donald Trump very nearly eked this out. And so there's a lot to what you're saying. It kind of 
I'm going to date myself really, really badly here, but it kind of reminds me of an old episode of The Simpsons where the character Apu, who's now been kind of canceled, the character Apu is taking the citizenship test and he has to explain what caused the civil war. And he says, well, in addition to the abolitionist versus anti-abolitionist movement, there were numerous economic and cultural factors. And the tester is just like, just say slavery. It's, it's just slavery, right? And it's like, it kind of feels like there's a lot going on and you do list a number of factors in your article and you explain them really, really well. But at base, it sounds like you're saying is, it's, it's, it's just chaos. It's just the pandemic. It's just we're still in a crisis and voters are saying, I'm really unhappy about being in a crisis. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, that would be my, yeah, I mean, I, I suspect that that's a big part of it, but it's hard to poll things like this because what people kind of don't, you know, people who answer polls, I mean, it's the same thing, right? I mean, like people don't spend a ton of time like weighing information and sort of like thinking things through before they, answer a poll, right? I mean, it's kind of like a really low key, it's like a low stakes thing to answer a poll with often like voters aren't necessarily a lot of, don't have a lot of information. So then that's filtered through sort of partisan talking points, right? So people who, like, I think when people say, I mean, obviously there's inflation, right? And like that matters to people and there's some sticker shock. But I think also when people, when people are asked, why are you feeling unhappy about life? They may reach for whatever they're told to reach for. Like in Virginia, like suddenly there was a surge in people saying they were concerned about education, right? right? And a lot of people interpreted that as, oh, Republican messaging about critical race theory has been super successful in making suburban moms concerned about education and critical race theory. But agents and Bartles talk about how polling works. And I mean, like another interpretation would be that the out party always wins those elections in Virginia, right? Like, I mean, they've won for the, like the app party has won for the last 50 years or something, right? They always win because negative it's partisanship. Like thermostatic, right? Yeah, yeah. Negative partisanship is just like much more powerful than partisanship when you're the out party in a, in a, a year after an election, after a presidential election. So, it, so people are looking for reasons and education was the talking point. So it's like, it's not that like this swayed people. It's just that it's kind of like hugely, really difficult for the in-party to win those elections. And people just pick some sort of negative partisanship talking point. And this time it was it was education. I, I love the point you're making. I, it really resonates with me because I, I think I think there's a real deep insight in that. And I actually wrote about this about a month ago, about some of the fundamental flaws in how we use and perceive polling, especially issue-based polling. And people can look that up on the editorial board or an alternate. And I, I, I kind of did it as a deep dive into why is polling so flawed and, and why do we misunderstand it? I think a lot of it does come down to the dynamic that you just explained really well. I was really tempted 
to put into that article. And I'll just, I'll just say it now. There's an old joke. And for some reason, it occurs on the streets of Tel Aviv. I don't know why this is a particularly Israeli joke. It doesn't have to be. It could be anywhere in the world. But two old friends run into each other. Let's call them Noah and Matt, right? And Matt says, Noah, my old friend, I'm in such a rush. It's so great to see you. I, I just have, I have barely a second. Please, in one word, tell me how you're doing. And Noah says, good. And Matt says, oh, okay, look, 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 I have just a little bit more time than that. How about in two words, how are you doing? And Noah thinks and says, not good. I think what that really captures is exactly the conundrum of polling. We're asking people to boil an incredibly nuanced story about their feelings, which they probably haven't even thought about themselves. They haven't really formed in concrete form what their, what their opinion really is. And we're saying in one word, do you approve or disapprove? And in that whole ersatz mixture, they end up throwing in, they have to express in one word, well, where do I land on that? It's like, it's like a quantum mechanics thing where they have to land on it's binary, yes, no. And what they're saying is, eh, I'm generally unhappy, but the insight that you're layering on that I love is they're sort of what Daniel Kahneman would call an availability bias. And so if they've been hearing a lot about education and they have to connect the dot to, I'm unhappy, I'm voting for Republicans. Why? Well, what's available? What have I been hearing? I've been hearing education. It doesn't necessarily mean that I've gone through an internal political calculus where I say, I am unhappy about education when it comes to Democrats. Therefore, I'm going to vote for Republicans. It's the other way around. It's, I am unhappy. I am searching for a reason to pin it on. Hey, I've been hearing a lot about education. Yeah, that resonates with me. That makes sense. Is that, I mean, does that jive back with you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much that's, that, that's the idea. And I mean, it, that isn't to say that people aren't affected by what's happening. I mean, like, it's just that sort of like cause and effect and sort of like analyzing it is not, doesn't necessarily work that well. So, I, I mean, sort of what I say in the article is I think that, so the first, it's, it's also hard because partisanship has been increasing so it's kind of increasingly hard to like move the needle. And there are a lot of Republicans who kind of, like if you're a committed Republican, right? And you're, yeah, even if you kind of don't pay attention to the news that much, I mean, like people just won't say that the economy is good no matter what, if there's a Democrat in office. I right. mean, there's kind of some of that on the other side too. I mean, Democrats... There was some good economic news under Trump, especially post-stimulus, and Democrats were very reluctant in polling to acknowledge that. So it's not that people, people tend to think that sort of analysis of sort of like the facts on the ground will push people into one partisan camp or the other. But in fact, partisanship is the main driver of votes and is a very strong driver of how people think about reality. I mean, like, I mean, like, it's kind of become like absurd under Trump, right? Where people just like say things like, yeah, maybe we should inject bleach. I mean, like, or, or, or he'll say, he'll say inject bleach and people will, you know, watch that video and say, he wasn't saying inject bleach. Like partisanship just has this like, will just like overwhelm, like just like 
the most obvious evidence. But I mean, like, so for something like perceptions of the economy, which are fluid and pretty subjective and not like, not at all like seeing a video of somebody saying inject bleach, partisanship just has a huge impact on like how people perceive how the economy is doing rather than the other way around. So that's the first part. But the second part is, oh, sorry. Right, right, right. No, 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 go, go, go. Oh, but the second part is that, I mean, I think that to some degree, the system works. I mean, like people are supposed to be upset if with the people in power, if things are going badly, that's sort of how democracy works. That sort of like throw the bums out energy is like a big part of what's supposed to keep politicians honest. And I think there are some ways in which Biden has not, we sort of promised we're going to end this, right? And there are a lot of things that make that very difficult. But there's also stuff he could have done that he hasn't. Like the White House spokesperson, right? I mean, she was asked, somebody asked her, well, why aren't you sending tests, free tests out to all Americans? And she was like, oh, well, we can't do that. But of course you could. Like, why wouldn't you do that? You should do that. So- yeah. Well, I, I, I'm glad you went there because that's exactly where I wanted to go next in the conversation. Because I think that was sort of the, the most interesting part of your article is that you do toward the end say, hey, folks, this is sort of good. This is sort of okay. More than okay. I mean, this is the way democracy, as you just said, is supposed to function. And the fact that the president's approval rating is down when people are feeling chaos, they're feeling insecure, they're feeling like we're a little disappointed. We thought we were going to be out of this because we were electing a stable, competent leader and we're not out of this yet. And so we're going to express our unhappiness in the only way we can, which is back to pollsters with our one word, good, not good response. Yeah, that totally computes. It makes sense. And by the way, sending that signal, again, this is the critical function of democracy. I wrote an article this week in which I said, look, Joe Biden is kind of being swift voted on COVID. There is a drumbeat going on from right-wing politicians and right-wing media to make a case that somehow Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the same. Their performance is about the same. Or maybe Trump is even better when it comes to COVID. It's based on some truly insipid math and some really terrible logic. And I... I urge people to go check out that article. You can find it on Alternet. You can find it on the editorial board. Just search for it with my name, Matt Robeson. You can check it out. And if you want the case for why Joe Biden is definitively, hands down, just no brainer, clearly much, much better than Donald Trump on COVID, you will find it and all the links. And I did, I I showed my homework in it. You'll find all of that there. But what I want to get to is the second part of my own article in which I say, look, Part of what's going on here is what's called Brandolini's law, which is the principle that the amount of energy it takes to debunk, well, because we're on the radio as well as podcasts, I'm going to say BS instead of the the full word. People know what that means. The amount of energy it takes to debunk BS is exponentially greater than the amount of energy it takes to throw it out. Republicans are leveraging that, and they have a propaganda machine in right-wing media that is shameless and doesn't feel like it needs to maintain journalistic standards. And so they have set out this drumbeat of the sky is falling, 
Biden has performed terribly, which he has not. He could have done better, but he has not performed terribly. And to some degree, it's warping voter perception. So Noah, what do you make of that in light of your contention in the article that democracy is essentially functioning here? Because it seems to me that there could be a little bit of a disconnect if democracy is based on voters having real information on which to base their judgments and being able to make them in a kind of free thinking and unencumbered way, how does that work when they're subject to this kind of propaganda that, that really goes hand in hand with the dynamics of how we communicate on the internet and virality and Brandolini's law and all that? Is it possible for, for democracy to really function in that environment and is it possible for the correct kind of signal to be sent back to our political leaders? Well, I mean, I think there are a couple sort of parts of that. I mean, first of all, I think that, again, it's important to recognize that, like, it's when you're when you pay close attention to politics, it's easy to feel like these nuances of messaging really matter a lot, right? That it really matters that. Republicans are saying, well, they're about the same. And that, that, that that's really influencing people or that people really believe that and that that pushes their choice. But again, like a lot of this is just like, most people aren't paying attention that closely to these arguments. The people who are, are mostly looking for kind of like post facto rallying cries rather than like actually like weighing evidence and being swayed. I mean, and like those post facto arguments are like kind of important. I mean, like it's important to like say this is a lie and this is the truth. And like, it's important to have that out there, but like whether it's actually like swaying voters is really like, you know, probably not. I mean, it's probably not that like those kind of arguments are, are probably like a lot less consequential in terms of swaying voters than it looks like when you're a politics junkie who pays attention to this stuff all the time. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, so agents of Bartles argue that this whole idea of like rational voters making sort of like informed decisions, like that isn't really sort of like how democracy works. It's more like people have some sense of like how their own lives are going and then they vote, then they will vote to some degree based on that, I mean, it's still like partisanship is still a huge issue. So like some people, like it kind of doesn't really matter if like Trump like shoots their friends, right? I mean, they'll still vote for him. It doesn't really matter. He, he literally said that. Remember when he said- He did, he said that campaign, and, and it's true. I could walk down Fifth Avenue, shoot right. someone, I wouldn't lose a single vote. And guess what? There's polling to back it up. 62% of Republicans subsequently polled said that they could not think in the words, their own words, of a single thing that Donald Trump could do to cause them to not support him anymore. So right. boom, he was right. And you're right. right. So there's so there's a lot of strong partisanship. But also, I mean, like there are some people who like if their lives, if, if the economy's really miserable, if there's a huge pandemic making their lives miserable, they will vote to toss the guy out. And that's kind of as much of a democracy signal as you can get. So I think that there's like, if I were Joe Biden, I would say, right, I need to beat, beat this thing. And I need to send tests to every American. I need to make the test free. I need to 
they've also been kind of like, I mean, the other thing that they really haven't done that I think they should, I mean, they've put some resources into like vaccines, for global vaccines for people outside the US, right? But there's also a lot of, well, other countries should do more. And it's kind of like framed as if it's like this charitable thing, but it's not a charitable thing. As long as people aren't vaccinated, we're going to get more of these more of these variants. So there's just should be this huge public health incentive in the U.S. to spend a trillion dollars on like getting other people vaccines at least. I mean, like, like there's a huge, like it would really help. So, I mean, that's sort of how it's supposed to work is that there's, there's like various political signals and the political signal that COVID is a real drag on the popularity should push them to do more. The problem is, and the thing that really is not working in our democracy, is that the Republicans aren't really arguing for them to do more, right? Like the Republicans kind of just don't care that people are dying. I mean, like it's all this kind of like anti-establishment sort of like partisan boilerplate, which is which isn't really about like you're doing a bad job helping people, but is more about we don't want those people over there helped. And rather than when the Republicans kind of are no longer even trying to get like majority democratic consensus for their policies. I mean, it's all about disenfranchising people or throwing out election results, right? So at that point, if you have a party that kind of doesn't care about democratic signals and is trying and doesn't really care about their constituents' well-being and is consciously and like taking like all these pragmatic steps to sort of like shield themselves from democratic accountability and sort of like establish authoritarian institutions like that's when the system doesn't work i mean like yeah that's true no 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 that's true i mean you're i agree I agree. One observation that that was sort of pounded into me continually in my career as a staffer, both for members of Congress and at the state legislative level, is that politicians think that everyone is paying attention to everything they do all the time. They assume that if there's something in the newspaper, everyone's read it and remembered it. I don't, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. So that's, that's clearly not true. But that, that asymmetry of perception is very real. And to some degree, from a staff standpoint, we encourage it because all you can do, I mean, you're bringing up an excellent point, which is you and I know the reality, which is voters are catching a little bit of this kind of stuff sometimes maybe and it's in the aggregate that they build up impressions and they build up some strong impressions of like presidential level candidates national level figures and for more state and local folks they they're building up even less because they're not getting it drummed into them over and over and over again and yet at the staff level we reinforce the notion and the people we work for that this is real because you want no unforced errors, no gaffes, and every little bit that you can build up. So I, I, I agree that the disconnect is, is there. And yet at the same time, there are two things that parties try to do in campaigns and then 
in between campaigns to try to affect the vote. Well, there's three things if you're a Republican, the third being you try and disenfranchise people, right? But let's just stick to the two. Let's stick to the two main ones. You try to increase turnout for your side by essentially saying, wow, the stakes are dire, most important election of our lifetimes, the other side is the devil. And why did Joe Biden win? Because all those things were true in 2020. That, that It happened to have the, the benefit of being true and Democrats turned out in droves, 83 million votes for Joe Biden. The other thing you can try and do is go after that remaining maybe six to 9% of the electorate that's a true swing vote. That's who you're trying to get through to. So I just wonder a little bit, kind of circling back to what you were saying about, all right, you've got these two things that you can do. What happens, and you bring this up in your article, when you've got a media environment where the media is harder on Democrats? Why? Because half the media is right wing and they are full-throated advocates for right-wing Republicans. The other half is full of flaws, not arguing that. The media is flawed. I'm air quoting here, like the, the, the non-right-wing media, full of flaws. But they at least attempt to maintain journalistic standards and apply some even-handedness, which means they go after Democrats half the time, they go after Republicans half the time, which means things are, are not going to look good for Democrats 75% of the time. And so what do you think then in terms of those two dynamics when you have that kind of a tilt and those small number of swing voters who are the margin in these close elections are getting this kind of a skew and they're getting spoon-fed repetition of time after time of, yeah, Joe Biden really messing it up on COVID. It doesn't matter if it's true, but they're getting that. And then on the other hand, the voters you need to turn out are getting the message of, eh, it's maybe Trump wasn't so bad. Maybe things are all kind of the same. We're about as much chaos now as then. And they get, they don't have that motivation to turn out in the next election. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of part and parcel of institutions of the sort of like various kind of democratic institutions in the US not really being prepared to deal with one party kind of embracing fascism. I mean, we're just, I think the media, like you can see it, people in the media kind of struggling with it to some degree. I mean, I think there's some recognition that at this point that both sides-ism is a problem in this environment. You see people who are pretty prominent in media sort of saying that and talking about it but it's like there's also people who the people in control are people who have been in power and who have held key positions for a long time and who are reluctant to change and who aren't necessarily flexible and who don't necessarily want to see what's happening or or have a big interest in not getting on the wrong side of whoever's in power, right? I mean, Facebook, this was a big issue with Facebook, right? I mean, it's not that Mark Zuckerberg is like a huge Trump fan, right? I mean, it's just that he's wants to make as much money as possible and he think and he's worried about and that that if there's somebody in power who's like really decided that he's against them, 
that that'll be bad for business. And I think that's the case for a lot of media companies. They're like, well, both sides is safe. I mean, like it's a way to say, well, we're not. When when the fascist next get in power, you can say, well, look, we're, we, we aren't really against you. We're, we're allowing you to spread all your propaganda and lies. It's fine. So yeah, I mean, I think that there are just kind of like institutional sort of norms and pragmatic incentives and just it's a case for Biden too. I mean, like he's super reluctant to act as if we're in a crisis, right? I mean, George Bush used the Iraq war to like, like sort of unilaterally just like restrict civil liberties in like huge ways. And Biden's like, well, it would sort of Maybe it would look sort of bad if I minted a trillion dollar coin, or maybe it looks sort of bad if I like forgave student debt. I mean, like, there's just like, he's, he's, he's an old guy. He's like, and he thinks the best way to promote trust in the system is just to like, not escalate. And like, that's, well, to catch 20, you know, maybe that'll right? work, but I'm, I'm skeptical. <laughs> No, I, I see what you mean. He is in a catch-22 because to some degree, and this is actually exactly where I wanted to go because at the end of your article, you sort of present, it's the old thing. If you're going through hell, keep going. I think that was that was a Teddy Roosevelt, right? Or, or an Eisenhower. Anyway, if you're going through hell, keep going. And what you basically say is like, look, none of this is easy. Okay. I mean, life is a contact sport. And ultimately, you, you just, you got to solve COVID. You got to actually bring it and make people feel better, make people feel stability, security, that things are back on track and they will reward you for that. And, and that's, and, and even if they don't, there's the, the alternative is worse. So, I mean, that's a, that's about as clear-eyed a prescription as, as one could ask for, but I see what you mean that there is a catch 22 in all of this, which is on the one hand, the thing he most needs to do is to lower the hammer. But we keep going through this do loop where we think we're making progress and then he badly wants to show progress. Things are getting better. There's a finish line. There's light at the end of the tunnel. We went through this in the spring in the run-up to the Delta wave, right? Where we started, the CDC started giving guidance and let's start enjoying the hot vac summer and it's gonna be great. Light at the end of the tunnel, we want to encourage people. And we the thinking was sound in my mind, which is, hey, if you show people that if they get vaccinated and they're, and they're reasonably careful and they're smart, that it pays off for them, then that's gonna set up a virtuous cycle that gets us where we wanna go. But then of course we got hit with Delta and it, it, it all kind of fizzled. And so he's kind of stuck. He wants to, he badly wants to show normalcy, but ultimately he has to lower the hammer. And if he doesn't solve it, he's cooked no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I think that if we're still, if we're still seeing like the numbers of COVID cases that we have now in, in 2024, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be, he's, he's going to have a lot of trouble winning. I like how you just skated right past 2022. We're done. 2022 is 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 going to be a wipeout no matter what. Going to going to be rough. I mean, but still, it's hard to who knows. It's still a year away. I mean, like a lot can happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not confident, but there's always hope. But on the other hand, there is 
if voters do have, we've already invoked Daniel Kahneman, who's like my hero, so I might as well do it again. I mean, if voters do have a, a cognitive bias here that's definitely true in politics, it's recency bias. So to some degree, if we're willing to let go of 2022 and say, it's gonna be bad, just go with it. Just, just roll with that punch. Really the, the goal line to look toward is 2024. And there is still an opportunity for Biden to show his work, to, to do the work and for, for the pandemic to, to ebb and for people to start to feel better. And maybe that's where recency bias will kind of play in his favor. Yeah, I mean, there is still a year. I mean, COVID could be much more under control in a year than it is now. I mean, and I think that would help too. So I, do you I, I, do you think that given that there is this catch-22 and you, you invoked the Jen Psaki, drew some criticism for not going there on, yeah, we're going to send a test to every American. And given that the Biden administration does seem a little stuck between these, these two kind of crushing grindstones of do we show progress? Do we, do, we, do we show light at the end of the tunnel? Or do we just go full bore and try and crush the darn thing, everything at our disposal and take the hit? It's gonna suck. People are gonna hate it, but let's do it because the long-term payoff is there. Do you see them moving in either direction or, or are they still are they still kind of stuck at this in-between spot? I mean, from what I can tell, they're, they're like still stuck at this in-between spot. I mean, like, like it wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea in January to say something like, we're going to, this is really an emergency. We need to squash this. We're going to take like, we're going to take two weeks and there's going to be like a national stay-at-home order again. And we're all just going to take a holiday. Nobody go out, just stay in we're gonna like really try to vac get boosters and vaccines to everybody this is the big push and at least in blue states really try to really try to cut it back but yeah i mean i like i don't see and then do it in january be like we've got 10 months till the election let's see if we can really get this under control and so things are better in november i mean like i like to me that seems like a sound strategy but like it, it just doesn't seem like it's on the radar at all, right? And they, I know, like I agree. I think I think they're stuck, but it's an unenviable position, right? There, it's yeah. it's not what you lay out is very attractive to me. I, I, I honestly was thinking along those lines back a year ago. It was like if, if let's just do it. Take take your medicine, no pun intended. Take the pain, and the long term payoff is worth it. But it's very easy for us to say as we're talking on pod and on the radio, it's very, very hard if you're leading the country out of the White House. And with that, we're going to have to leave it there. Your writing can be found all over the place. I hope people will check you out, find you on Twitter. And thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you.